Section 111 of England, Scotland, Ireland, and Wales. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Patrick Seaton. The World Story, Volume 10. England, Scotland, Ireland, and Wales. Edited by Ava March Tappan. Section 111. When the Eighteen Fell, 1282. By Owen Roshkamel. On Thursday, December the 10th, 1282, Fluin, Ap received a message from the plotters, luring him to Aberdu, some miles down the Wye, below Booth, and on the other side of the stream, the snow was lying white on the world, and the rivers, deeper then than now, were running black and full. But the ford across the Wye at Thecret was still passable. Choosing eighteen of his household men, his bodyguard, Thelwyn, rode to Thecred and crossed. There he left his eighteen to hold the ford till he should come back, and then, attended only by one squire, young Grono Vichen, son of his minister, and Nevid Vichen. He pushed on down the valley to Aberdu. At Aberdu, he was to meet a young gentlewoman, who was to conduct him to a stealthy meeting with some chiefs of that district. If it be asked why he rode thus, almost alone and almost unarmored, the answer is that he was on a secret errand, in which he must not attract attention to himself until he had seen the local chiefs and arranged all the details of a rising on their part. The more secret and sudden that rising was, the more likely it was to succeed. He was taking one of the risks that a fearless captain takes in such a war. It was like him to do it, for he was a steadfast soul. At Aberdu, however, the gentleman was not there to meet him. In truth, the whole message was part of the plot of Gifford and the Mortimers, though he did not know it yet. Yet as he waited, he thought of how the snow would betray which way he went, either in going to the secret meeting with the chiefs, or in stealing away for safety from any sudden enemies. Therefore he went to the smith of the place, Red Maddock, of the Wide Mouth, and bade him take the thin shoes off the horses, and put them on again, backwards. Anyone finding his tracks after that would think he had been coming, not going. Then, as dark fell, he found the Mortimers with their horsemen were closing in round the place. Danger was upon him indeed. Swiftly he stole away with his squire, and hid himself in a cave which may still be seen at Aberdeen. All the night he lay hidden, and then, as soon as the earliest grey of dawn crept over the snowy earth, he stole away with his squire again, and rode back to Thecred. He could only go slowly, so he had to go stealthily, for his horse could not gallop, because of its shoes being backwards. At Thecred he found his faithful eighteen, but by this time the river was too high for crossing there. They must find some bridge, now the nearest bridge was the one at Ulf, under the walls of the great castle. Thelwyn believed that by the trick of the horseshoes he had thrown the Mortimers off his track 
Also, he remembered that Beulth Castle was to be delivered to him according to promise. He took his eighteen men and rode back to the bridge of Beulth, a great distance down the valley. He reached the bridge barely in time. The Mortimers at Abadu had terrified Red Maddock the smith into confessing the trick of the horseshoes. Like hounds, they were following his trail, and now they caught sight of him crossing the bridge with his little troop. The bridge was of wood like the rest of the bridges of that district. Fedowin turned and broke it down behind him, the black flood of the full Y mocking the Mortimers as they drew rein on their panting steeds before the broken timbers. Their hoped-for victim had escaped for the moment. In their fury, they turned and dashed back down the valley to cross Erid, now called Erwood, eight miles below. Felowen expected the castle of Bulith to be given up to him, but the garrison refused, doubtless, making some excuse of waiting till the country had risen. He could not waste time. The bridge on the road to Senibed was gone. He took his eighteen and led the way along the southern bank, the Yervon, to another bridge, just above the little church of Thaninus. There he crossed and posted the eighteen to hold that bridge, doubtless feeling himself safely returned from great peril. In thankfulness for that escape, too, he caused a white friar to hold a service for him, perhaps at the end of the bridge, perhaps in the little church of Thaninus, beside the dark Yvron. It does not matter much where the service was held. The whole of that ground was to be made sacred that day. This done, Felowen went up to the garage of Thanver, a farmstead belonging to the parish church of Bulith, doubtless to get food in an hour's sleep after the cold watching of that winter's night in the cave. After a frosty night of scout work, one's eyes get very heavy when one gets warm next day, and a great drowsiness stills the blood, even of the stubbornest man. Meanwhile the Mortimers had crossed the Wye at Airwood, and with Gifford were riding fast for the bridge of Arroanum, where the eighteen held their post. In headlong haste, their leading squadron charged the bridge, but the eighteen had not been chosen in vain. They kept the bridge. While the clamor was at its height, Grano Vaichan roused Thruin and told him of it. Are not my men at the bridge? demanded the prince. They are, answered Grano. Then I care not if all of England were on the other side, returned Thruin proudly. He knew that manner of men he had left to hold that bridge. But down in front of the bridge, where the enemy were shouting in their baffled rage, as they tried in vain to hew away across, one of Gifford's captains spoke out. It was Helius apt Philip Walwyn from lower down the Wye. We shall do no good here, he shouted, but I know a ford, a little distance off, that they do not know of. Let some of the bravest and strongest come with me, and we can cross and take the bridge in the rear. At once the bravest crowded after Helius to the ford, where the water seems as dark and deep in winter as the rest of the long black pool on either hand they crossed. The eighteen were charged in rear as well as in front, but they kept faith, where Thelowin had posted them. There they died, as men should end, proudly fighting, 
so they ended. Till the eighteen fell, says the bard. It was well with Thelowen upgrouped. Then over their bodies poured all the mass of Mortimer's men, with Giffords to seek Thelowen's little force on the high ground beyond. Fast the horsemen spurred, and as they hastened, they came suddenly upon an unarmored man with one companion, hurrying on foot towards where the bridge was roaring under from the trampling host. One of the horsemen, Stephen or Adam of Frankton, in Thelowen's old lordship of Ellesmere, dashed forward with his men, and one ran his lance through the younger of the two. The other one was running up through the little dingle to get back to the army above in time to lead it the coming battle. On the bank above the little spring at the head of the dingle grew a great spread of broom. Benadel. In the brush of broom, Frankton overtook the man and ran his spear out through him in a mortal wound. That man was Selwyn. The accident had happened. Go to the spot, and the people will tell you that no broom has ever grown again in Thangintim Parish from that dark day to this. So died Thelowen ap Gruffid, a gallanter soul of the past to God. End of section 111. This recording is in the public domain.